Sup, nerds? This is In My Expert Opinion, a podcast about the nonfiction side of speculative fiction. Your hosts are Dr. Marcus Cole. I get paid to do science. Sarah Ward. I'm a scientist in progress. And me, Abby Cole. I'm not a scientist at all. Join us as we geek out about the made-up stuff we love and the real stuff that shaped it. Today we're going to talk about Hellmouths. Hellmouths? There's more than one? Yes. Well, the only one I know about that exists other than the one in Sunnydale, California, is in Cleveland, Ohio, which I think was mostly just a pot shot at Cleveland um, versus (laughs) like an actual lore building like thing. Just talking shit about Cleveland. Like, this is basically hell. Yeah, I think so. That's what I remember from that episode anyway. Cleveland gets a lot of shit in a lot of TV. I uh, went to college kind of near Cleveland. Uh, Cleveland is pretty rad, actually. I don't know why it gets so much shit. It's a it's an easy target, but it's actually pretty rad. Dude, it's so affordable, too. Yeah, I was about to say, it's because the people in LA are mad that it is like actually affordable to live in Cleveland versus whatever the hell they're paying for apartments and housing, so. Yeah, God only knows. Wait, Marcus, how far from L.A. do you live? Uh, I don't know where yeah. anything is I, in California. <laughs> I'm like four and a half <laughs> hours away from L.A. California's big as hell. Yeah, dude, but like the, oh, the Bay Area prices suck. The the rent yeah. out here is ridiculous. Anyway, yeah, we're, there's more than one Hellmouth. We're going to talk about the one that's in Sunnydale. So Buffy the Vampire t- Slayer takes place in Sunnydale, California, uh, home of Sunnydale High, UC Sunnydale, and location of a hellmouth the uh hellmouth is basically a well it's like a gate to hell essentially um when the spanish were in charge of sunnydale they called it boca del infierno which means mouth of hell also a way cooler name than sunnydale yeah yes well i think that sunnydale is meant to be ironic <laughs> i guess so i don't know i'm pretty partial to that spanish name that's a pretty cool one like can you imagine saying you were from there yeah it's pretty rad Although, as you'll find out soon, guys, it's so exciting. We get to talk about the Anglo-Saxons again. Yay! We're back. <laughs> We're back. The uh, concept of a hellmouth is pretty exclusively Anglo-Saxon. We will get to that in a little bit, though. I want to talk about it in Buffy first. So, um, in the Buffy lore, demons lived on the planet like long before humans did, and then were like driven underground into... I mean, I guess it's like an infinite number of hell dimensions, basically. Sure. Uh, so we're looking at a mouth not to one hell, but to many hells, dimensions of hell, etc. Okay. So there's like a multiverse within hell. There's just like all these different little sub or pocket realities of hell within hell, I guess. Yes. And my, my sense is that some of them are worse than others. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Angel goes to hell for a hot second uh, and comes back all naked for no particular no reason. Apparent reason his clothes just burned off something like that yes or him and satan were having a good time i don't who knows or wow <laughs> interesting all right wait hold on i want to hear more about this theory really fast that's a real hot take uh, oh. <laughs> oh, boy. oh boy uh how many of those ships on ao3 do you think there are angel and satan uh angel and satan uh let me check really fast uh let me pull up ao3 real fast Fucking Angel and Satan, absolutely spectacular. Yeah, so the the 
Hellmouth is basically a gate to hell, sort of like a portal between this world and the next, according to Giles. And there are a number of times where somebody tries to open it, basically, and usher in the apocalypse. There's one... Oh, and also the library in Sunnydale High School is directly on top of the Hellmouth. So in the earlier seasons, there's one episode where uh, this, like, gang of, like, all-female assassins tries to open the Hellmouth in the library. But we don't actually get to see any of it because this is an episode that follows Xander around the whole time. <laughs> oh, I was actually about to say, I don't remember that episode and that fucking explained it right fucking there, yes. huh? God damn it, Xander. Well, he well, the whole joke in that episode is that he also has saved the world because he also kept the school from blowing up. Kind of a funny episode. I don't know. I just I'm so sick of early Xander. <laughs> yeah, well. When does he yeah. get better, I guess, in the show? Like, is there, like, a point where Xander's just like, okay, I'm, like, actually a useful character, and I'm not just here just being thirsty over Buffy? Honestly, I liked him when they started, like, after they graduated. Uh, when he started, yeah. like, being a construction worker and, like, Buffy and Willow started college, I felt like Xander was, like, actually way more chill because they weren't constantly around Buffy in school, like, the three yeah. of them. He, like, existed as another person who, like went on dates with other people and generally had his own fucking life. Like, he had a job, he had bills to pay. Mm -hmm. I think the job and bills to pay was very good for him, for his character. He just needed a little bit of Dalton in his life. Yeah. Although Giles never liked Xander. I will will say that was actually (laughs) one of the funniest parts is that Giles always fucking hated that dude. Yeah, Giles has zero time for Xander. Uh, Thank God for Giles. (laughs) Giles, the librarian who guards the portal to hell. We're actually going to talk a little bit about libraries today, too. Nice. Anyway, there's also a seal in the basement, like a big, it's called the Seal of Danzolthar, according to the internet, which I don't know if I ever remember them mentioning that name. They might have said it like once. That's season seven, right? Yeah, this is season seven times. Uh, It's got like a goat in a pentagram on it and you Uh, open it using blood. Yo. The first evil opens it. And this is where these uh, uber vamps live. The Turrican. Okay. Come out of this portal or yeah, portal in the basement. Heads up, everybody. Big time spoilers. I'm talking about the season, the series finale now. So... (laughs) Okay, I'm listening. I'm waiting. I'm excited. Basically, the first evil opens up the Hellmouth, and then in, just in advance of that, Angel rolls up with this magical amulet. Angel like, rolls up? What? Out of nowhere. <laughs> what? Angel rolls up with this magical amulet and is like, someone with a soul but more than a human is supposed to use this to close <laughs> the Hellmouth Spike? forever. Well, he's like, it's me for sure. And Buffy's like, absolutely not. And then Spike's <laughs> like, I'll do it. <laughs> Oh, see, this is why Spike is the fucking best. Uh, I didn't yes, know all of this best. before I made my claims. I had no idea Spike actually saved the world. Allegedly. <laughs> yeah, he does fucking save the world. Oh my God, I spectacular. Mean, I love him. <laughs> there's a bunch of cool shit that the Slayers do that I'll leave out of it, but because I don't want to ruin literally everything for everyone. <laughs> but basically, Spike dons this magical amulet. And he sort of like catches fire and gets burnt up and the whole of Sunnydale falls into a pit and then Sunnydale disappears into the earth and the Hellmouth is closed forever. And that's the end of the show? Did they evacuate the town? Then that's the end of the show. Yes. Well, so before, the- basically because the first e- <laughs> because the first evil is uh like ramping things up, trying to bring about the apocalypse- just shit keeps keeps getting weirder and weirder and shittier and shittier in Sunnydale. You know how when the Hellmouth is quote unquote active, yeah, and then everyone's going fucking nuts and like right. 
So basically, everyone volunteer uh, voluntarily left. Oh, okay. Beforehand, yeah. Everyone was just like, "Fuck this, we're leaving." Sunny, we're done with Sunnydale. I give up. Honestly, they made it a lot longer than I would have, considering the shenanigans of like the previous seasons. Yeah, exactly. Yes. So Spike closes it forever and saves the fucking world. And it's really fucking adorable because while he's standing there burning up before Buffy runs away, she's like, I love you. And he's like, no, you don't. But thanks for saying it. Aww. And then he's like, Damn. I know it's so fucking good. <laughs> and then he starts to go burn, 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 glow. And this huge beam of light comes up. And he's like, I can't wait to see what's next. The answer to what's next is he gets reincarnated for Angel. Exactly. So don't worry about him. I was about to say, I thought he was in Angel. He's definitely in Angel. <laughs> yeah, he's in Angel. <laughs> he's on the fucking like cover of Angel. There's no, I mean, the fact that Spike does not eternally die is is not well a surprise. Known. Um, speaking of Spike, I did pull up AO3 actually. Can I share with you guys really fast the top ships of the uh, Buffy AO3 page? Sure. Um, <laughs> sure. <laughs> I'm just going to say the top three really fast. Okay, um, yeah. It's Spike and Buffy's number one. Yes, Angel correct. and Buffy number two. These are sensible Boo, top choices. Piss. But you know, I get it. Like, they were in the show. Sure. Now, the number three is Xander and Spike. Huh. Oh, yeah. I actually knew about that. That's because Spike, like, lives in his basement with him for a while. Right. And they had that weird, like, buddy-buddy kind of hate. Yeah. Uh, like a little bromance thing type deal. Or, like, is it actually, like, like... A romantic relationship. No, it's not romantic. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> if if one were reaching, one could describe it as sexual tension. Let's reach. If one <laughs> if one really wanted to reach. I just wanted to reach because if we're gonna go ahead and say that Angel had a canonical relationship with Satan, which I think Marcus did confirm that was canon. Yep. Um <laughs> we might as well reach and say that Xander and Spike had a little fling, right? That's fair. I don't think that Xander deserves him. That's my- <laughs> brutal. I don't, I don't. Is it brutal? I don't think Xander deserves much. Yeah, well, that's I think, true. I think he usually gets better than he deserves. I mean, you're not <laughs> wrong. I feel like it would make sense though. Like between like like with Xander and Spike, they both like really couldn't have Buffy because of Angel. So it's like they just naturally like migrated towards each other, and they just found happiness together. Maybe that's the story. They both try to be part of a love triangle, and then they realize, wait a second. This is the de- danger of the friend zone. It makes you gay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, we're not going to talk about Xander the whole time. We're also going to talk about Hellmouths. Although, I'm sure there will be ample opportunities for dunking on Xander. Hell yeah. I don't mean to cut that off. <laughs> anyway, wh- when we're talking about Hellmouths, there are gates to hell, like, everywhere, basically. Um, But what I'm talking about today is specifically mouthy. So, like, obviously there are, like, gates to hell in, like, all kinds of different mythologies across the world. In places where hell or an underworld or whatever exists or, like, you know, afterlife kind of stuff. But I'm talking just about the ones that are mouths. Uh, We're going to stick to the chewing and swallowing variety of gates of hell. I'm sorry. Are there a lot of those? Well, no. I mean, there are a lot of depictions of hell mouths but it's all basically from the anglo-saxons our buddies the anglo-saxons got it good old ancient brits obsessed with hell and all of its (laughs) mouths yes were they into like vor or something or like what's the deal here i don't know so okay the primary text that i'm going to be referring to with just like this history and sort of information about uh 
Hellmouths, I want to shout this guy out explicitly because uh, I wrote, I read his doctoral thesis from 1985 or wow, something nice. like that. Uh, yeah. Uh, this is Gary David Schmidt. Shout out. Dr. Schmidt. <laughs> assuming he, yeah, assuming he passed or whatever. I believe in him. Yeah. Yeah. And this is uh, the title of his thesis is The Mouth of Hell in Medieval Art and Thought. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty rad. Hmm. So most of this information I'm getting or getting is from him. But in answer to your question, Sarah, he seems to think that the Anglo-Saxons were really into it because of like the drama and like Anglo-Saxons being like dramatic people or whatever. Now, I do want to point out that that doesn't preclude war. No, that's true. But I also like the drama aspect. That's really fun. Dr. Gary David Schmidt did not mention war in his thesis. Hmm. At least I might have missed it. I did a little bit of skimming, so. (laughs) (laughs) Do they talk about, I guess, like, uh, and maybe you'll get to this, I guess, depictions of, like, demons that come out of, like, the Hellmouths? Because, like, I feel like historically when, like, when Anglo-Saxons choose to depict demons, they tend to look like black people. And that's just kind of, like, their whole shtick. But I don't know if that's what this guy found in his thesis, but, like. I'm going to take a wild stab in the dark. And say that Dr. Gary David Schmidt from the University of Illinois in 1985 was not overly concerned with whether or not these things were racist. Yeah, that make, that checks out. That checks out to me, yeah. I don't want to totally make assumptions, but I'm going to guess. The counterpoint to that in terms of like the Anglo-Saxons setting it up that way is that probably these people in England in the 8th century didn't see a ton of black people. So I don't know how much of it was like, ooh, scary, dark versus like racism or both. I don't really know. Like, To be fair, though, I guess I don't really know exactly how many black people were in or in this area in this time period. But if you're looking at medieval times, there was actually like a pretty significant number of black people throughout Europe, throughout the medieval ages, which is something that has obviously been historically whitewashed, partially in an attempt to like erase the racism of people during that time period. It wasn't like there were a ton of black people, but its proximity to Africa, all I'm saying is that like there probably were some black people. In the general vicinity. We can assume that people were racist. I think that's a safe (laughs) assumption. But yeah, so the earliest references for uh, the Hellmouth are from the 8th century, text references, that is. And um, earliest references in art are from around the 9th century. And this is largely driven uh, into popularity, I guess, or ubiquitousness in the middle of the 10th century because of the Benedictine monastic reform in England. And basically all these monks were like, we would like to make religion accessible and appealing to these wild, dramatic Anglo-Saxons. So we will try to make it relatable and interesting by changing the gates of hell to a mouth to explain that it is bad and evil and torture. Interesting. (laughs) I mean, this is, yeah, I guess the idea is like, we want to make religion fun. It's a marketing campaign. It's like, yo, the, the hell yeah. gates are not really resonating well with our demographic. We need to switch it over to the mouth. We feel like we're going to get better uh, retention with that. It's just the church market in itself. I don't understand. I'm a little bit confused about their um, marketing strategy that relies on oral fixation. <laughs> I, I'm a little bit confused by how the mouth made it fun is all I'm saying. <laughs> I think, well, okay, it's not that the mouth made it fun, but I mean, like, the the dramatic, like, these depictions of, like, the 
gaping maw and like, you know, in art, like literally drawing a mouth and that kind of thing. Sure. Is supposed to be the fun part. The mouth part actually like isn't totally out of nowhere. It's like got some um, basis in other like biblical stuff. Who's eating who in the Bible? (laughs) (laughs) There's definitely like a hell mouth in the Bible, isn't there? Um, well, yeah, so basically there are, well, not exactly a hellmouth per se, but like a lot of the way that um, going to hell is described has like the sort of, I don't know, it's not mouth imagery, I guess. So there's stuff like that in the Psalms, in the narrative of Joseph of Arimathea, Gospel of Nicodemus, Revelation of John. An example of this uh, sort of kind of language that I'm talking about is from St. Peter Chris. Sologus. Mm-hmm. Basically, he links uh, the devouring of sin and the swallowing of hell in his sermon in which he says, O sin, you cruel beast, and a beast not to vent your fury against the human race from merely one head. We have seen this beast, brethren, devouring with a triple mouth all the highly precious sprouts of the human family. Yes, brethren, with a mouth that is triple, as sin this beast captures, as death it devours, and hell it swallows down. So basically, we're looking at language that's not literally like, and then there's a mouth, and that's how you go to hell, but more of this metaphorical stuff that then the Benedictine monks were like, now it's a literal mouth, so the Anglo-Saxons will think it's fun. Uh, I feel like the number three is kind of like ubiquitous in a lot of like monotheistic religions. Yeah, I guess that's right, right? Because they have like, at least in Christianity, like Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It makes sense mm-hmm. that that would be reflected on the other side. Oh, yeah, man. Two sides of the same coin. <laughs> oh, two sides of the same coin. Two sides of the same coin. Um, Yeah, so the Hellmouths were depicted like in a lot of different ways, like wildly creative stuff. There's like fangs, breathing fire, whatever. Uh, sometimes there's like stuff crawling out of it. Sometimes there's stuff attached to it. Sometimes there's stuff like falling into it. Basically, it's really iconic and easy to recognize because it's this like giant fucking mouth into which things are going, right? So it's like you can decorate, you can kind of decorate it however you want the theme. Mm -hmm. But there are a couple of patterns that are most common in terms of what the mouth looks like. It's most often a dragon or a like leviathan fish thing Mm. or a lion. I guess that makes sense because Satan is kind of draconic, right? Or at least in like Revelations, there's like a great beast that is like Satan and also a dragon or something like that. Yeah, 100%. The dragon is uh, often equated with Satan or saying like basically Satan is a dragon. One of the Anglo-Saxon poems that I found uh, specifically refers to that dragon as Satan kind of thing, saying this dragon's throat seems to be a holding place for those who practice necromancy will never emerge from the throat of the dragon identified as Satan. Hmm. Um, The dragon is most influential because of its ties to like the serpent Mm -hmm. thing with uh, sin and the whole garden of whatever. And it's also like linked to hell in Anglo-Saxon poetry. So the dragon is often, or rather, hellmouths often look like dragon mouths when mm-hmm. you see them in art. Interesting. Yeah. They also sometimes look like a big old fish or like the Leviathan. Isn't Leviathan just like a whale in the Bible? Actually, the Leviathan is translated to English as whale. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of is I've just like seen, I don't know, like in a King James Bible or something. Oh, they just called it the like giant whale. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, we're looking when you look at like uh, Jonah and the whale, for example. That whale in English is always, almost always called a whale. Um, but I guess the Hebrew original like language translates better to like giant fish. Okay. Oh, uh, so it could be considered a leviathan, I guess. 
Yeah. It's like a sea monster. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the Leviathan is like a lot of different things in a lot of different places. There are these sea monsters or like coiled serpents or like maybe it's the thing with Jonah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Old English, by the way, the old English word for whale is huala, which I think is awesome. Huala. 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 Um, (laughs) In the old English version of the Jonah uh, story... It has like a a good smelling mouth to like lure people into it. Ew. I just think that's really <laughs> gross that. and fun. <laughs> um but the Jonah, the story of Jonah is sort of tied to the hellmouth thing obviously because he's like swallowed by this big fish. Yeah. And he's down there because like basically God's like go to this one place and he's like hell no. And then he gets on a ship to try to go somewhere else. He gets swallowed by a whale and he sits down there for like 3 days. Until he's like, fine, God, I'll do what you said. And then the, the whale like spits him back up. I think I watched the VeggieTales version of this. Yes. Oh, my God, Sarah, me too. <laughs> right? Right? <laughs> I so recently found out that VeggieTales was Christian. So, so, so recently, like within the past two months. VeggieTales was actually like a not insignificant part of my childhood. Same. And I also just realized it was Christian. I never saw VeggieTales. I literally did not know it was Christian until you just said that. But I'm like, you know what? That tracks with everything I've ever seen. <laughs> that just, like, <laughs> man. But that's how like crazy it is. It's subtle like Christian propaganda that I was just oblivious it's to. It's very propaganda, yeah. <laughs> is it subtle? Well, it's subtle because apparently you could watch it and not know it's Christian. Yeah, for I decades see. after the fact. Um, can I tell you guys a little quick fact about VeggieTales before we move on? Sure. Um, <laughs> yes, absolutely. I don't actually totally know if this is true, but I've heard this several times. Okay, so fact, sor- sort of fact. <laughs> I, well, I'm pretty sure. Anyway, so, uh, well, the internet told me it's true, so it has to be true. There we go. Mm-hmm. The reason that Jesus is not in that show is because the creator's mom didn't want Jesus to be a vegetable. <laughs> she thought that was like very insulting. <laughs> so that's why Jesus isn't in VeggieTales. They just talk about him a lot. Oh my god! All these other motherfuckers can be vegetables, not Jesus. Yeah, though. exactly. I draw the line at Jesus, dude. <laughs> I in this is like hot take. If I was to cast Jesus as a vegetable, I'm making him an eggplant because I want people to think about the phallic oh, symbols man, of Marcus. it. <laughs> Marcus. So the thing is that there was an eggplant, but I think the eggplant was usually like kind of an asshole. Oh, a dick. <laughs> yeah. So like they already got it out of the way. Is what I'm Damn saying. Damn it. <laughs> they already did it. You know what I mean. No one should have a bigger eggplant than Jesus. That's he's the oh biggest eggplant, I guess. <laughs> no, we're talking. We're done. We're talking about Saint Peter now. Okay, okay. I'm not talking about fucking Jesus's penis anymore. Good. Lord. We're gonna need to put a disclaimer on this episode. <laughs> yeah, this was a lot. <laughs> uh, these Anglo-Saxons, man, they get us riled up. <laughs> Saint Peter. Speaking of Jesus, I guess Saint Peter says that. Uh, Satan is a, like a roaring lion, like rushing about. Um, and so that's one of the reasons that a lion is sometimes a hellmouthy mm-hmm. looking, or the hellmouth is lion looking. And basically, these hellmouths, no matter what form they take, are sort of a metaphor for going to hell and also like the torment of hell. So both a mouth in the sense that you get this is how you get somewhere an opening, and then also, boy, doesn't it suck to be chewed up and digested? Being in hell is bad. Um, in Buffy, are things like 
So I know that from beneath the devourers is like a big part of it. Like obviously the the consumption. Mm-hmm. I also was under the impression that stuff was like coming out of the hellmouth. Yes. So like, is that also an Anglo-Saxon thing? Like not like it's like vomiting up evil. You know what I mean? Or is that just like the Buffy thing? I would say that sort of reminds me of the Jonah thing, right? Of being spit back up, but. Mm. There are actually some depictions of the Hellmouth, and I'll talk a little bit more about this later, but in which Jesus is, like, pulling people out of hell. Okay. Yeah. Oh, shit. When you look at uh, depictions of the Hellmouth in art, it's pictured sometimes, like, sort of, quote-unquote, vertically, I guess, in that, like, it's big and open and you can see a sort of straight into it, or it'll be, like, horizontal, sort of, like, profile facing off to the side. Um, so you can see people either like charging, walking into it or like falling into it, depending on the angle. Mm-hmm. It starts to apparently be more often horizontal in like the 12th and 13th century. Like it, for before that, it was just like big hole in middle of picture yeah. with teeth. Okay. Um, and then after that, you start to see like the art is sort of set up so that you can see people moving into it, which sort of gives you more space for like, oh, look, this is the path to hell, right? There's a sense of movement rather okay. than just like sinking down Mm -hmm. and yeah sometimes jesus is here either like literally fighting the hell mouth so like fighting the dragon mouth or whatever is he punching it i probably not punching it i guess i didn't there weren't any more specifics than fighting it (laughs) i like this image though of jesus just fighting a giant mouth yeah i hope he's got like weapons or he's just like the power of christ compels you nah dude his fists are weapons his fists are weapons Jesus is a monk. <laughs> Sorry, that's a D&D monk that I'm talking about, yeah. in case that sounded like absolute nonsense to anybody. Jesus is just rolling crits. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he auto crits every time. Anyway, so sometimes he's fighting the Hellmouth. Sometimes he's like dragging people out. I read about this one depiction of him like pulling Adam out of hell, out of a Hellmouth, and Adam is in turn pulling Eve out of the Hellmouth. Hmm, interesting. So Jesus is sometimes shown as like interacting with the Hellmouth in sort of heroic ways. Huh. Sometimes we get the Hellmouth as like sort of an entrance to a prison, like a jail or like a tower. So like you go through and then you're imprisoned here. And then sometimes it's like a belly where you are digested, possibly in flames. Hmm. The belly of the beast. Yeah. And uh, it's also often juxtaposed with the gates to heaven. So there'll be like a Hellmouth on one side and like, the gates of heaven on the other. Oh, it's not the mouth of heaven. <laughs> oh. <laughs> is it like just no? This is a serious question. Is it just straight up like a gate, or is it also a yeah. mouth, but like a nicer looking mouth? No, it's not a, ma- <laughs> a nicer <laughs> mouth. I mean, I guess no. It's not, I know it's a real question, but it's funny. It's no. It's not, it's gates. It's, it's not, not a mouth. Jesus's mouth on the other side. Oh my fucking god! What are we talking about? Wouldn't like the appropriate like analogy be like? heaven's asshole if it's the mouth of hell it has to be heaven's asshole (laughs) marcus marcus i'm i'm asking for all the christians to come after me (laughs) marcus based on that last sentence you just said i am not convinced you know what analogy means oh yeah well no i guess in relation to hell's mouth there must be (laughs) please don't explain it no, I'm sorry. Wait. Go ahead. I do actually. I am actually curious. <laughs> no, I was like, well, tell me about how the gates of heaven are an asshole. <laughs> if God. if you if hell is a mouth and <laughs> uh-huh. and heaven is the opposite of hell, okay, I would say that then okay, heaven is an asshole. <laughs> 
Okay, wait. The mouth is but, the opposite okay, of the butt. Uh, uh, yes, but also that would imply that heaven just shits people out and the mouth eats things. Like, you know what I mean? Like, what what's happening here? Heaven is constantly shitting souls into what? hell. <laughs> what? My, my shitty analogy. Anyway. All right. Anyway, <laughs> um, sometimes the uh, hellmouth is like used as a metaphor for like torment. Also, as I alluded to before, but like being chewed to bits, stuck in bellies. And also sometimes it's Satan's mouth instead of a dragon. Although sometimes the dragon is Satan. So like, I don't know. It's kind of all the same thing, but it's very artsy. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, yeah, I'm talking about art. <laughs> <laughs> Surprise. Surprise. One such depiction that I thought was kind of funny. Speaking of I see, this is also has a butt in it. Huh. Here we go. There's a late t- uh, late 13th century mosaic with Satan chewing on a torso. And then he has like snakes coming out of his ears that are like clutching souls. And then snakes coming out of his butt that have swallowed heads. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? Are you sure they were snakes coming out of his asshole and they weren't angels? They were definitely snakes. I didn't see it. I oh only read it. it could, well, it could have been angels. You never know. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> it was angel. It was angel coming out That's of Satan's where he asshole. Went. That's where he went when he was in hell. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, this also relates to like angel having a good time with Satan. <laughs> we cracked the case. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm, I'm, I'm done. I got to stop. We fucking cracked the case. <laughs> No, we've cracked it wide open. He was in Satan's butt. The whole he was oh just playing, playing around in Satan's asshole. Okay. Oh my god. <laughs> we've got. We've got to stop talking about this. I'm gonna fucking die. Okay. We gotta rein this shit back in. Everybody, <laughs> shut the fuck up. There's also. Uh, there's also um, depictions of like multiple hell mouths. Professor, Dr. whatever Schmidt says, uh, although hell mouths most commonly appear singly, at times a number of such mouths will be linked together as a corporate unit. The effect is at times more dramatic and other times it becomes almost comic. So these are things such as mouths within mouths, mouths sharing jaws, mouths placed on top of other mouths. Sometimes you get lots and lots of mouths at once. Weird. Oh, creepy. Yes. One possible reason for that might be that Satan has like three heads, as I mentioned before. Um, but hell mouths, Schmidt points out, can have any number of mouths. So in Buffy, were all of the hell mouths um, linked together or were they just like separate portals without any kind They're of linkage? They're separate. Okay. I don't know. It's possible they lead to the same place, but like closing the one in Sunnydale doesn't do anything to the one in Cleveland. I see. Got it. Wait. So I remember in like the first season, like the, like Angel and even like. I think, like, Buffy, like, they would go into some part of, I guess, the underworld. Was that not hell when they would, like, I guess, going to, like, get the anointed one? I think that was just underground. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think that was just, uh, like, in a cave. Quick aside is that I thought this was kind of interesting, although it's only sort of tangentially related. Meyer Shapiro, who was used to be an art historian at uh, Columbia University, suggested that, okay, so, like, in English stories about Cain murdering Abel... It's often described as like he uses an ass's jawbone. Yeah. Whereas in most other places, it's like a club or like some kind of farming implement. Mm-hmm. Shapiro's theory is that this is related to the hellmouth thing. Like because the hellmouth was so ubiquitous, when the monks were like talking about Cain and Abel, they used specifically a jawbone to sort of like as a tie in, oh. um, like murder, mouth to hell, etc., which I thought was cool. Pretty interesting. Yeah. 
really trying yeah. to drive this point home that like they're the like guys get it it's a fucking bad. mouth do you get <laughs> it it's a mouth don't you love this you fucking pervy anglo-saxons <laughs> <laughs> and this is a uh, mentioned in hamlet this sort of kane's jawbone um and that's my sad attempt at a segue into medieval, medieval mis- mystery plays. Uh, Ooh, so mystery. speaking of plays, uh, in the 13th and 14th century, which is not when Hamlet was, by the way. This is before Hamlet. I just couldn't think of a transition. In the 13th and 14th century, in medieval mystery plays in like England and France and Germany, sort of Western Europe, I guess, the Hellmouth became like this huge set piece, like a giant prop. That was used all the time in all of these like religious, religious plays. They just like had a giant like mouth ready to go on stage. Yeah. Well, yeah, it was a fucking ordeal <laughs> to build it too, right? Because it's like this huge fucking thing. It's like a, it's what is called either like a mansion stage or a stage mansion, mm-hmm. which is like this feature of um, stagecraft at the time that like was like a little platform that was sort of pillars and a roof. Um, and those would be used to, like on the same stage to indicate different locations, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Um, it was like one of these stage mansions and these basically elaborate, giant, gaping mouths that were used uh, to depict hell on stage. Huh. So like people like walked through them or something, I guess, like to show yeah. that they were going to hell. Right. Um, it's hard to know exactly what they looked like, because as you might imagine, there aren't like a ton of. It's not photo evidence of uh, eyewitness accounts yeah. from the 14th century. <laughs> um, and while the stage mansions are like referred to in the plays, which is how we know, you know, they were there. Mm-hmm. They were referred to in the plays, but there weren't like extreme detailed descriptions. So you can assume we were, they were made of like wood and like cloth and stuff. These huge monstrous things. Probably dragons. Um, dragons are the most common, partly because they're the most exciting. And in fact, <laughs> they also used to like have fire and smoke that Whoa. they would like wow. billow out from behind awesome. the hell. Yeah. So they would take like braziers and or like cauldrons or whatever and That's just like fan awesome. smoke out. That's yeah. so cool. Way to show stage presence, man. Like I I appreciate the effects way back when. God, the drama. No, this is like <laughs> extraordinarily like theatrical. Um this one guy suggested also that um that they might have like burned brandy to get this effect what? to like have like flaming whatever on wow. stage. Oh my god, so that's funny. so good. <laughs> yeah, um, it's really awesome. And uh, Schmidt also suggests that they probably had like lots of demons on stage as sort of like accompanying the Hellmouth yeah. set piece, basically. Um, and they were like really distracting actors. Probably because they were just like doing stuff while the play was going on. Like during, wait, so even when the Hellmouth wasn't like a focus, there'd just be some like dude dressed up as a demon like fucking around in the background. Yeah. Wow. Like carting someone into the Hellmouth or like doing like lewd gestures or whatever. Oh. Real- Are they like jesters kind of in the play? Like jesters around like the Hellmouth? Like not necessarily like like the main villain in the story, but just kind of like right comedic just fucking factor. around. Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, that's the thing is that once you, I mean, these Hellmouths were originally meant to be like so, so scary. And if you look at these grotesque pictures, then it's like, oh, God. But then as soon as you like get fucking a mouth on stage and you're like flaming fire out of it and you've got these like guys dressed up with like multiple heads and they're like making lewd gestures and like carting each other into hell and whatever, it becomes something that's funny. I was about to say, this of- sounds more like a comedy, actually. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. It ends up being more comedic than frightening. Schmidt was kind of cranky about that. He was like, oh, now it's silly. And that's how the Anglo-Saxons discovered they were actually into mouth stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. I guess this is post-Anglo-Saxons, yes, if this was like the 1200s, you said? Yes, 13th and 14th century. Mm. Yeah, so it ends up being like really goofy stuff. Um, One example of a stained glass window from around this time uh, shows a demon whose uh, conception was probably influenced by the drama. So uh, his head is like a mask with like a goat and a fox and an old man. And then more butt stuff. His butt is decorated with another face, which is like (laughs) chained to a cauldron. (laughs) And there's like souls boiling in the cauldron. Uh, and then there's like a hell mouth down by his feet. Wild. That was a stained glass window. Yes. God, can you imagine going to church and looking at that the entire fucking service? <laughs> I could, Y'all I Catholics could not focus. know what's up. <laughs> I would just I'd be like, like, what is going what on? What is that? I'd be so afraid of going to hell. It's like, I don't want a mouth on my ass. Like I, I don't like, want a guy with a butt <laughs> mouth coming after me. I'm like, this is scary. <laughs> Maybe it did work. <laughs> Maybe it did scare people. <laughs> Do we know if there was like an uptick in like people going to church during this time? Like it's like, yo, man, we got to get away from these mouth butt demons. We need to get our ass in church. <laughs> Actually, it's funny you say that because in Buffy, Willow talks about like mentions because somebody like lampshade hangs basically how many churches and graveyards there are. And she's like, yeah, we're on the hellmouth. It makes people pray extra hard. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Yep. Checks out. Uh, so in the Renaissance, these plays sort of fall off, um, and the Hellmouth iconography sort of falls off as well. Um, the English Renaissance, I mean, like, you know, the 1500s, 1600s, um, although the Jaws of Hell do show up in Dr. Faustus. Is this a play with which you are familiar? Yeah, Faustus, uh, the whole, like, deal-making shit, right? Yeah. Yeah. Not familiar at all, but... Uh, Christopher Marlowe was, like, a contemporary of uh, Shakespeare's, and he wrote this play about... Uh, Faust and yes cool it's about like making deals with a devil or with a demon yeah. or something. yeah so the jaws of hell are in that and then alfred lord tennyson is this a, a famous guy i don't know if he's a famous guy to you alfred lord tennyson is like this victorian english poet um and he wrote the charge of the light brigade about like a failed battle against the russians in the crimean war and he mentions the hellmouth here too i'm gonna read you some of tennyson today Cannon to the right of them, cannon to the left of them, cannon in front of them, volleyed and thundered, stormed at with shot and shell, boldly they rode, and well, into the jaws of death, into the mouth of hell rode the 600. Cool. Mm, Badass. Um, But we don't see much of Hellmouths after the mystery plays. Until Buffy. Until Buffy. Wow, that's a big gap. Yeah, right? (laughs) (laughs) Buffy really brought it back. Actually, there are... I was reading this article, well, article, I guess it's a paper published at the University of Georgia, publishes some of their grad students' stuff, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, And this student named Christina Rust uh, was published a paper about like parallels to a pop culture, including Buffy. But one of the things she brought up, which is before Buffy, is Lord of the Rings. She cites like Jesus descending into hell and bringing souls out and ending sin as like tied to the hellmouth. And she says it's like Aragorn going to the city of the dead or whatever and getting those oathbreaker guys. Mm, I don't know about that. Uh, I'm I'm not sure I buy it. I'm not a hardcore fan, so I don't really know. I don't super buy it because the whole point was that they were trapped in like a limbo because of their oath breaking versus 
pulling them out from, you know, like, I guess it could have been a metaphor that to me seems like kind of a stretch, especially because Tolkien tended to stay away from Christianity as one of his like allegorical pulls. Mm. Versus like mythological stuff. I mean, it mm. might have been. I I don't know about that one. Maybe we should maybe we should consult his book of letters and see how many angry letters he wrote about uh, people saying there was Jesus stuff and him being like, absolutely not. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> There's also sort of a parallel of that pe- bringing people out of hell in the final episode. In that, like Buffy and the Slayers, like go down and kill stuff, and then like save the world that way but i don't know i don't know if how i feel about buffy as jesus yeah wait so they actually go in the hellmouth like they enter the hellmouth and go and then like they can get out yeah they fight a bunch of turrican and then they get out because spike saves them by killing himself well sacrificing himself i guess is a better way of calling it to be reincarnated into another show franchise (laughs) yes (laughs) blessedly In which his primary role in Angel is just to make fun of Angel's hair. I mean, honestly, iconic. (laughs) That's exactly what we need. (laughs) The other thing I wanted to touch on before we wrap up is about the library, uh, the Sunnydale High Library. Immediately above the Hellmouth Library. Yeah, located immediately above the Hellmouth. I read a really interesting paper about um, the library's location on the Hellmouth as being like sort of a Borgesian situation. So what I mean by that, this is some like literary theory stuff. Jorge Luis Borges was an Argentinian writer, a super illustrious, super famous, super <laughs> super genre bending writer. His work sort of popped, popped off in the 60s in the boom period of Latin American literature. And he just wrote this like absolutely wild metafiction postmodernist shit. Mostly essays and short stories, although he also wrote poetry. And honestly, his essays and short stories were kind of like smooshed together anyway, um, which is why we get this like word Borgesian, right? Because it's sort of uh, genre and writing unto itself and didn't really, it defies previous classifications available. It's like really heady abstract stuff. But anyway, the dude loved libraries. He's a real fucking nerd. Love books. Bibliophile. Indeed. Um, And he wrote about libraries as this sort of like multi-dimensional, interdimensional, out of time and space kind of maze-like space. Whoa. Ooh, I love that, actually. It's a really common way of talking about libraries in a bunch of pop culture stuff. Like the same article by uh, Iana Konstantinova, they were saying like, Doctor Who's library is kind of like this. There was another mm-hmm. show that I hadn't heard of that they were also talking about in this paper. Um, basically, this is like a really common idea that libraries are like these like mystical, interdimensional repositories of knowledge. That's fun. That's awesome. And in one of Borges's, there's like the Aleph, which is like this tiny little thing that like contains all knowledge within it or whatever. Anyway, in this paper, the author suggest that like the library in Sunnydale High serves sort of a similar function in that it's like we need answers we go to the library and there the answers are like the answers are there in books and also on Willow's computer where she is miraculously <laughs> able to access anything she ever needs ever <laughs> <laughs> maybe Willow's computer is the LF 
FBI database? Got it. No problem. It's so wild. I just like her, like, looking at a fucking absolute brick of a monitor and being like, I got it. I hacked in. And it's like, did you? (laughs) On that? I'm in the system. (laughs) What? It's, yeah, Giles is very against computers, famously. Oh, I forgot about that. He was, like, so angry about it all the time. Yeah, very salty. Okay, boomer. (laughs) (laughs) Don't do that to Giles. (laughs) Actually, you know what's interesting? Also in this paper, the author was saying that, like, Giles is almost like an extension of the library in that sort of, like, metaphysical way of, like, he, it is he who reaches in and pulls out a book, and it's always, like, the right book. That's fine. Do you know what I yeah. mean? Mm-hmm. So, like, he's sort of, like, integrated into that system of getting knowledge. Um, and this this sort of, like, metaphysical, all-encompassing thing, and additionally, an interdimensional, like, portal to hell, yeah. mirrors that sort of uh, Borges kind of, like, interdimensional library thing. Very cool. I feel like it could have been cool if, like, Giles had just been kind of, like, this personification of the library that just kind of existed on the campus, but he was just like, I always have all the knowledge, and, like, he was just, like, a powerful being, but... Yeah, and when the library's gone, he, like, loses his shit for a minute there. (laughs) Oh, yeah, Giles gets kind of, like, messy for a hot second. Yeah, he gets fucking sloppy. And then he's, like, straight up gone for a huge chunk of time. Ugh, the worst part of the show. Anyway, so that's, uh... That's fucking Hellmouths, baby. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. We have shout outs. We do have shout outs. Oh man, this is awesome. We're giving shout outs to folks who left us five star reviews. If you left us a five star rating, I'm also super grateful, but I cannot shout you out because I cannot see you. We do not know your name. We do not know your name, but thank you so much. Appreciate it so much. We can, however, shout out Kara. Uh, left us a very lovely review. Thank, Thank you, you so much, Kara. You're Thanks, rad. Kara. And Francis also. Thanks, Francis. Excellent review. Thanks, Francis. Thank you so much, Francis. You're rad. And that's also our expert opinion. <laughs> in, yeah, it's not even like an opinion. In our expert fact, Kara and Francis are rad. Thanks for listening to In My Expert Opinion please remember to rate and subscribe. We'd also be grateful if you'd leave a review with your expert opinion on why this podcast is rad. Five-star reviews will get a shout-out on the podcast. A pretty big deal, if you ask me. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at expertopspod, or email inmyexpertopinion at gmail.com. Later, nerds! <laughs>